right, this is uh, Ross Baton here with Role Playing Public Radio, and we're doing episode 50, uh, Dance Macabre 2, Electric Boogaloo. So, Ross uh, thought of that last part. Yes, uh, that's a joke. Of, I uh, like jokes, Ross. Yes, it's a reference and, uh, to 1980s films. I know. Okay. So, uh, and uh, hey, it's our 50th episode. Yeah. So. If I had a noisemaker with me, I'd be doing it. But you're, you're, you don't. You I didn't bring a noisemaker with me, Ross. You... Okay, but you just wanted to bring up in a hypothetical sense. In a hypothetical sense, had I planned ahead, yeah. I would have had a noisemaker. Yeah. So. But I didn't plan ahead, so I don't have a noisemaker. You did bring a letter, so you did do some planning. I ahead. did some planning. So you're lying about the planning. Well, ahead. to you. Oh. I'm I lying see. to you. But not to our listeners. But I learned it from watching you. How? I don't lie. I'm a very honest person. That's a lie. Also incredibly modest, humble. That's what's so great about me. Man, I can I can taste <laughs> man, I can taste the lie. It's like the lie is a physical no, thing no, crawling it's over. It's not a me. lie if you believe it. It's just it's a delusion, Ross. Well, there's a difference between a lie and a delusion. Whatever. It's called pills. <laughs> I like right. pills. Yeah. Pills. Well, in Left 4 Dead, they've uh, added a new DLC for it, new uh, campaign for it, where they uh, you can play the Left 4 Dead one characters and you know mm. Lewis can go pills, pills here. Oh no, pills. Yes. Uh, much to everyone's joy and amusement. See, so, what, see uh, what happens when you don't get your pills. I know. Things go crazy. Um, of course, I've been playing on modded servers where it's 20 players, and it's just... Ross can't just play the game. It's just it's, madness. It is ridiculous, and it's it, it's kind of silly. You're ridiculous. Um, not much news for this episode. We are, of course, chugging along, producing all kinds of great stuff for you guys. Uh, you know, actual plays. Uh, we've been doing Dark Sun a lot, and uh, we um, have some stuff in the works. We're not quite ready to talk about it. Uh, well, I do have one thing that's that's on the verge of being announced, and that's going to be uh, our next uh, New World PDF Ransom Project. And uh, this one is going to be about the Ruins of Lemuria, uh, Ancient World... Uh, or the idea is, you know, ancient continent, sunken continent. Uh, yeah. Ross's creditors are banging on his door, so he needs to yes, move. he needs right. to scratch again. Yes. Uh, and, uh, yeah. and by creditors, I mean that I don't mean a, sh- a loan shark at all. It will break my leg. No, that would be silly. That would be no, ridiculous. Ross. So, uh, but, if he's in, um, but if he's in your house, you can shoot him. Okay. Well, I don't have a gun, Tom. I can hook you up. Well, you okay? Um. Anyway, uh, yes, because we're in America and everyone needs guns. Uh, America, America. We uh, the Ruins of Lemuria is going to be focusing on the the hidden world, the lost continent kind of uh, tropes of science fiction and fantasy. Uh, Atlantis, Mew, Lemuria, and all this other stuff. Uh, Secret of Mana, if you played that, is a you know the day. I have yes. Uh, so you know, kind of tapping into that whole vibe, those tropes, as they are uh, want to be called and uh providing materials so you can run your own it's going to be more like the goblin hulk in the sense that it's going to be more open-ended and usable in any kind of dnd t- campaign the material we're going for it's not going to be specifically tied to the new world unlike the new world primer and the codex of war which are pretty specific to the new world i mean you don't really uh a war between colonists and natives isn't really applicable in say forgotten realms well i guess you could you but could like- you can do a war between natives and an invading force wherever yeah but you kind of have to set up for it i mean like the goblin hulk the goblins just show up and start fucking everyone's shit yeah up. they say hey guys we're yeah. goblins yeah basically we're gonna fuck your shit up so um yeah that so that, that that's gonna be i'm working on the outline <laughs> right now uh 
when I get the outline done, uh, we'll uh, uh, do another episode to promote it. Uh, the announcement of the Kickstarter and all that other fun stuff. But that support will be... Ross's money habit. Ye- everyone, actually, I was not the only one. Uh, 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 Ian, Patrick, and Cody they all got paid for that. So uh, uh, all contr- the support the support other people's money habits too. Oh, yes, money habits, Tom. Um, that's that's you have an addiction, man. Addiction to money, yes. Yeah, unlike you. No, no, I, no. Bitch about how you overpaid for the hotel in Gen Con. No, I bitch because I didn't have to pay that much. Uh huh. And I, I too, am addicted to money. Okay. And like all capitalists, oh my god, the horror. Anyway, fight the system. Um. So we're going to be talking about horror this episode again. Uh, uh, it's October. Halloween's on around the corner. And we haven't talked about horror in a while, really. It's not since episode well, off and on in most episodes, well, but, we not, but devo- not as an actual topic. Yeah, we. I mean, in passing, we haven't really talked about it, Tom. I mean, we've been talking about it. we we focus on topics. I mean, it's really been episode, and we haven't really done much since episode twenty two, twenty three. I mean, really. Um. So we're gonna do all about horror this this episode. It's gonna be talking about types of games in particular. Uh, I want to focus it, look through it through the lens that um. Stephen King wrote a good book called Dance Macabre, and it's about horror, you know, and Stephen King knows a little bit about horror. I, I've, I've heard he's, he's written a couple of stories. He's written a couple of stories, a couple of film books, mm-hmm. uh, paper, you know, doorstops. I think there were movie. There's a movie, too. No, there's no, no, never. No, he's, he's too underground. You, you've, <laughs> you, uh, maybe half of you have heard of him, right? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, he's writing about Maine, and that's not a scary state. Yeah, no, with its isolation and its foreboding forests and yeah it's i rugged terrain it's like disneyland really yeah no it's it's so warm and cozy and inviting yeah anyway um stephen king um in dance macabre divides horror into three separate elements or types of horror and And they uh, are yes uh terror horror and revulsion now, revulsion's obviously the easiest one to describe. That's the gag field of baby fetuses. Well, yeah, the gag reflex. The the oh my god, this is super gross. Goats say two girls, one cup. Um, all that stuff. Um, which, that, which you are inf- intimately familiar. Well, with. Well, most people on the internet are. I have not seen two girls, one cup. Well, you are sheltered, Tom. I am. Yeah. Anyway, and you call yourself a. You, how can you look yourself in the mirror, man? God. Hey, I look in the mirror. You know what I see? Someone who hasn't seen two girls. One Reflection cup. perfection. What does that even mean? It means your mirror works. It means your mirror's not broken. Is that? No, it? it means that that the mirror world I stare into every time I look in the mirror seems awesome. Oh, I see. It's all the but you can't read anything there because letters are all backwards. No, it's. It's one of those things, man. Anyways, um, and then horror, which is uh, what Stephen King used to describe the shock value kind the of booga booga, the booga booga film horror films, especially those marketed towards teens, which is to say most of them are really good about that. The da 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 buh, you know, uh, kind or like, of uh, or like as soon as the car- the as soon as the uh, kid and the teenager in this movie starts backing up without looking behind him, like he's behind you, he's behind you, he's behind you, he's behind you. Yeah. Oh, he's behind you. Yeah. Well, and then there's uh, terror, which is actually sort of the uh, the the one you should go for, the one that's more about building up the suspense, and it's the moments before the monster's revealed, uh, or that the the person's about to be killed. It's the um, 
that that is sort of the the dread realization that something really terrible is going to happen and that's kind of what you're trying to go for um now the thing is in in horror stories you know in fiction you can go for all three values uh, or types of horror mm. but um in tabletop rpgs i don't really think you can go for at least uh horror in the sense of shock you know you can't really you do a booga booga I mean, unless you actually leap from the table suddenly and, and that gets old really fast yeah, uh, I mean, you could pull that off once, maybe every ten sessions, and like, yeah. without people starting to throw things. At yeah, you. and you told me that you know you can do revulsion, but that's kind of cheap. Yeah, I mean, and really, that's just kind of. I mean, it's creepy. That makes you feel uncomfortable. Not like it doesn't scare you. I don't know about you, but like that—that's how I feel about it. So, depends on how it's done, and you know, a little revulsion is good. Yeah, I think. Well, a little bit. I mean, again, you 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 mentioned the that dead fetuses. I mean, that that's going way too far. That's well, yeah, not... actually, I watched Cannibal Holocaust not you... long ago. Oh, really? You finally watched that? I decided, yeah, man, I better break down and see this. And okay, uh, but you haven't seen Two Girls One Cup. No. Okay. So, what did you think of Cannibal Holocaust? Um, I will say, um, I didn't. It was it wasn't actually the cannibalism stuff or the murders of those of the you know the camera crew that really got me it was more the fetus actually that's one scene that did well spoiler alert um might want to put spoiler alert but it's it's more yeah it's well shut up uh what about the animals being killed actually that but that that i'm one of those weird people i can watch a person getting killed there's a lot of people that who who are like you in that yeah like i can watch a person getting killed way easier than i can watch an animal getting killed and did you know those were real Yes, they. Uh, it seemed to the be. animal kill. No, the animals are kills are real. He had. The no, it seemed to me that they were. Well, they are. No, I I didn't know for sure, but it sure as hell looked. Well, like now it. you know for sure. I do know that for turtle sure. was killed. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, so yeah, that that revulsion yeah goes a long way, and Cannibal Holocaust uh, is of course the perfect example of that. Um, at least out of pre-internet horror, you know. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, with Kote and Two Girls, One Cup. <laughs> Although they're, they're not really trying to be horror. They're just like... like we're going to like, we're gonna show you some filthy shit. So the, the question then becomes, how do you... Now that you, you know... You're, the trope you're going for. Right, well, the, the, the type of horror, the, 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 the terror. Uh, how do you invoke that terror? How do you make your game <laughs> scarier? And, you know, we've gone over a lot of stuff, but I'd like to just sort of focus about three areas i think if you really focus on you can really improve the the make your game scarier um and in 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 short there there are sort of like ambiguous information and that means not a total lack of information but not enough information to really fill in the picture uh then there's a a lack of total control which again means you have the character the players have some control but not enough um and then sort of uh, focusing on characterization of npcs and uh, monsters, and I divide NPCs from monsters because they have different roles. So, anyways, um, so those are the three areas I, I think if you if you sort of think about them consciously um, when you're running your games, you you can um, improve them. So, uh, one, we take the first one: the ambiguous information. So, uh, what I mean by that is you describe things in the game, and you don't give the players you give the players enough information to and make their own interpretations about what's going on, but not enough to satisfy all their questions. And so, and I mentioned this before, you know, like in, in, in general, like you describe the monster in vague terms rather than specifically giving it, Oh, well, he has a chitinous shell. He's six 
4.5 feet tall. Uh, it weighs uh, 285 pounds. It has a wingspan of, you know, 22 so, so feet. So, like, judging by the size of the wingspan, probably has a flying speed of about 35 miles per yeah. hour. Uh, pretty good maneuver. Like, I'd say pretty good maneuverability, yeah. possible hovering. And judging from this, from the smell coming from him, he has a diet of blah, 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 blah. So, so what you do is again, you, you describe it as the winged thing crashes through the door and screeches at you in a, in a pitch that your ears can barely perceive yet causes you intense pain. Uh, it's great and terrible claws rent, you know, destroy the door in a matter of seconds. You know, what do you do? And, um, the slender man's another good example. Yeah. Of the that. slender man. Yeah. Again, um, you can describe him, but you're never going to, you're never going to know exactly what the hell's going on. Slender man's a good example. Like, you know, uh, I know in our pre pre sh- uh, uh, um, pre show talk, you know, to prep for this, you mentioned you know like how you didn't have enough information in the Slender Man game to really figure out what was going on until very late in the game, and that and even of- then we really we never had the whole story, right? Um, so how did that? I mean, from your perspective, I mean, like where was what was the information you were desperately trying to figure out, or what? Where did the lack of information or well, I think the thing you know, we we knew we pretty much gathered right you know right about right the right amount of time that he's okay he's kidnapping people and he uses recorded medium to do to move about and you know to, and to look in and to look in on the world. What we still didn't know is why is he taking people, what happens to them after they're gone, mm. which we then you know eventually figured out. But we found out where they go. We still don't know why, and we I don't think we ever really truly figured that out of why he's doing it. Which uh, you know, and these are questions. It's it's be great to know, but certainly there's no by no means do you need to know them. Right, and the thing is, the players will come up with their own interpretations for it. So like, or their own theories about what's yeah, happening. Yeah, depending on what the players think of, you know, if he's doing it because he's you know he's utterly lonely where he is. Yeah. One player might start having a twinge of sympathy for him, while another one's like, he's just a twisted freak, man. We got to kill him. Right. Well, I mean, did you had come up with your own theories about what was going on, or did you? My yeah, my own theories. My my theory was that he was just pissed off that he suffered this fate, and he's by God, he's not going to suffer it alone. Okay, okay. So I I always had a very malevolent view of him. <laughs> All right. Did some of the other players? I mean, I didn't really. I don't remember if the players had more sympathetic views of him. But... I don't know. Um... Aaron was in that one, I know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was always just more just get the get the children out. Yeah. You know, do the heroic thing. Always do the heroic thing. Right. Well, that's our Aaron. So. Yeah, I know. But uh-huh. yeah, I don't really think he was thinking too much of the uh you know, he was he wasn't thinking of the the Slender Man's motives. His was just this is the monster that's trying to stop us from rescuing the children or what's put the children in harm's way. Therefore, that's all I need to know. Right. Um but I remember you also mentioned like the camera shop scene uh, in the Slender yeah, Man. Yeah, and that one I kind of think yeah, that I loved that scene primarily because this goes to an, another point we're going to mention too. But yeah. in that scene, I had no idea what was going on. In fact, in that one, the camera shop was the character. Yeah. Or in that case, the monster. Yeah. It was just the camera shop, and I didn't know what the hell was going on. Even right now, I still don't know what was going on. If it, unless it was just another, I'm going to freak you out again. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. Um, that's another thing is, you know, horror a lot is about uh, irrationality. You know, the, the idea is that in order to make a really scary game, you can't, I mean, you, you need to establish consistent rules so it's not like utterly chaotic, but it's okay to violate them or seemingly violate them a little <coughs> bit just to, to freak the players out. Because if they, if uh, again, it's taking away their safety 
mm-hmm. making them realize that the, the rules aren't quite the same. Um, so I think yeah, that, that was a problem I had, I think, in the first running of the uh, the Bell Island game. Yeah. I didn't know, you know, I didn't know exactly what it could do. So it was essentially doing whatever I wanted it to do. Right. And eventually, you know, like, well, if it can, it, you know, I remember that was when I was in, right? Yeah. And that, at that point, I was like, I was getting more, I, I just sort of gave up because I felt like uh, I had no control whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Like there was nothing I could have done. And I think, I mean, if yeah. you go, actually, and it, and it reminds me of a movie, uh, Wes Craven, it was Wes Craven's They. Mm hmm. Where the monsters come out there, they come from the, like mirrors and darkness, and can only be stopped by light, but they can extinguish every light source. Right. And so in that one, there's no suspense. You know they're doomed. Right. See, that brings up our second point, which is to give the players a lack of total control. Now, and and this is a very fine line that it's very. Uh, um, it's hard to get just right sometimes, and that's why horror systems. Uh, really craft the rules to get make sure the PCs stay vulnerable, and you know they is just the the perfect example. And um, because the the monsters will always get you no matter what you do, because they will then they can extinguish light sources. Yeah, about, about the only thing they can't extinguish is the sun. Right. So, but at night you're doomed. Yeah. And that's not interesting. Yeah. If you know, you know the moment night falls you're dead. Whoop de do. Because it's not the violence, it's not the killing, it's the uncertainty, it's the suspense. Or knowing something's coming for you, but you don't know when or where. Right. And you don't know, hey, well, they could still get away, you know, maybe. Yeah. Um, exactly. So, uh, and in horror games, um, you had to walk this fine line between making the monsters powerful enough to be scary, but not so powerful that they automatically win. Um, and there are a lot of different tricks to do this. I mean, like Call of Cthulhu is very good about this because characters are, you know, can get all these skills and investigate the horror and they have sanity points to resist the, the so they don't go totally crazy instantly. Um, but on the same time, they can't go toe to toe fighting these things in most circumstances because they're just going to get killed because they're very fragile. Uh, World of Darkness games are like that too. They always have mm. built in measurements to limit the characters enough, you know, that they're, they're not, I mean, you think, well, yeah, obviously that makes sense. But compare this to like a non-horror RPG. D&D. Like D&D, fourth edition, or, you know, even third edition. In fourth well, edition. Yeah, if you're a high enough level, you could take on gods, basically. Yeah, and that's expected. And even if you die, that's just, you know, a resurrection yeah. away. And also, like, a big problem I have, like, uh, the book of, uh, I think it's of the Nine Hells. Uh-huh. Which lists the you know the stati- the stats and hit points of Asmodeus, but it's the Lord of Hell, right? And gives the experience you get for killing him, well, his sure. treasure, and I know there was a uh, well, that's I mean that's not a flaw, that's that's a that's a feature in D and D's case because that's a game about being a hero, heroic mm-hmm. badass. It's not a horror game, um, but that's why I think D and D is hard, like pretty hard to do. Well, you could you horror. you could do it as horror. You could. But it's difficult. Like, look at the one successful setting that they did it in, Ravenloft. They had mm. Ravenloft dread power checks. So you, if you did evil things, you became corrupted and evil and mutated. Uh, the monsters, the Ravenloft lords were pretty much, the domain lords, I'm sorry, were pretty much indestructible. They could only be killed by certain things. And there were a lot, and like magic didn't work the same. Holy spells and paladins were like instantly attacked by undead. They just like, you know, you're like, kill me, kill me now. I'm radiating big, holiness. Big, big neon sign. Like, yeah. I'm a paladin, kill me. Yeah. So there's that. And um, so in that case, it could, and because they limited the character's control. They didn't have nearly as much control in Ravenloft as they did in other settings. Um, 
but even modern systems like look at cyberpunk characters are badasses they can you know uh wipe out you know armies like of a new- whole a whole hotel room full of <laughs> yeah. corporate thugs and guards yeah. and so it'd be very hard to do a to to invoke suspense. No, 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 Ross. That was horror. You were the horror. <laughs> you were the horror in that game. You were the one walking through, like you know, just over grenade. I must kill the yakuza, but no, John. You are the yeah. no major laser. You are the killer. You are the monster. Well, uh, the one like other one. Like, I think my favorite is still just you go in and they make the main corporate guy's hands yeah. steepled. You are like grenade. Yeah. next room so like, i'm not like i'm not gonna talk to this guy yeah no no why would i uh, <laughs> no he is a big he is a bag of meat and i will cook this meat exactly um so again it, it, it's walking a fine line between giving them too much and too little control if you give them too little control they give up if you give them too much control it's not scary and so they're so aside from the system picking the right system there are a lot of tricks you can do uh to limit them by uh for one thing i like doing is limiting the amount of information they have which again goes back to ambiguous information is you know players like okay the monsters you can hear the monster on the other side of the door it's battering down the door you've seen glimpses of it it's a big winged thing what do you do there's like a little bit of fluid seeping in under the door right and what usually happens what usually happens in a game is the player will want to know everything I mean, you've seen this, Tom. I mean, you, I have. You, I mean, Aaron's like I, Aaron's pretty bad. Well, I think I mean a lot of players. They they just like they want to know how thick the door is, how big the room is, what's everything in it. You know, oh, Jesus what Christ. the exits are in it. You know, yeah, like I, did, uh, what, I, what I mentioned can- this before. Yeah, my friend Andy was in an action game with me, and he was in like a uh, hotel penthouse with a bar. He wanted to know all the liquors that were in that bar. Right. They want to just be able to stop time, you know, like it's a fucking video game and be able to just like look at everything they can do and then come up with a very detailed, complex plan. And to a certain degree, I let them do this because usually their characters are more competent, quick, thick, uh, think quicker on their feet and have better information than they the player does. Mm-hmm. But after a certain point, especially in horror games, I shut them down. I'm saying, no, I, you don't, you don't have time a, to figure it like, out. It's, like, it's almost through the door. Yeah, it, you don't have time. You either you have to give me a decision because you don't have any time. You don't know anything else. What are you going to do? And that limits their control. They, don't, they can't dictate you know, what they do because they have imperfect information. And so that's another, that raises suspense because then they're like, oh, shit, I'm going to make a decision. And it could be the wrong decision. I could be making, I'm making, making you know, I, I didn't realize that, you know, that the, the fluid is kerosene and throwing, you know, uh, uh, an incendiary grenade at the door is a bad right. idea. Or I didn't know that Shoggoths were immune to bullets. Yeah, exactly. Or I didn't know it was a Shoggoth, you know. I thought it was something else. Um, so that suspense, again, that, that's going to raise tension. That's what's going to, you know, scare the players when he's like, what the fuck is going on, you know. But again, you got to ease off too at a certain point. You can't you can't do that every single time. Um, I know I've mentioned this many times: is that horror games in particular are very rhythmic. You have to have a very establish a very good rhythm. In uh, you, you build up, you ease off, you build up, you ease off, and then you just go over totally overwhelm them, and then just totally slack off. I mean, you have to be. It's very chaotic. It's it, it's a very fluid thing and i think like in the candle code game i think i tried i think i got that pretty well i don't know you you tell me yeah no you did um yeah it strikes me as you know we all start off this we have this tape we go to watch it yeah it's creepy but nothing really creepy happens while we're watching it it's after we're done watching it when you know they see the guy hanging outside the house breaking right. the window you know then of course well like he attacks us but then he's gone 
So then it pretty much goes to the next morning where, all right, well, we go about our lives and then da, 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 da. Then during that next day, oh, whoa, something else happens. Yeah. And that's kind of freaky, weird shit, but eventually it goes away. And, it, you know, it's pretty much, it's, you know, hit him back off, hit him back off. Mm-hmm. But just a little further every time. Yeah. And then, of course, when you, then you broke out the damn Calliope music. and <laughs> That was the second session, but yeah. Um, and also... I'm so glad you found that, by the way. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, the great thing is, you know, it's not copyrighted or anything. Yeah, public so. domain, public domain. Um, you know, again, you go back to our episode on props, you know, a little audio prop can go a long way. Uh, like, uh, also the um, uh, list number stations, you know, those, mm-hmm. those little number stations were always fun. Um, so again, and by doing that, you know, you're forced to react to it. You couldn't really dictate the time, you know, compare this to like a D and D game, a dungeon crawl where the players get to say, all right, we're going in the dungeon at this time. We're fighting this in this room. We're taking out this trap. And then we're like, like, we're kind of damaged. We need to retreat and go back to the end and heal up. They have control over the timing of the the situation, you know, does it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm getting, I'm getting, um, and also, and also, uh, damage is not a problem. There's always means around that. Well, in D&D, I mean, the damage is a problem if you go down to the negatives in a fight, you know, like you found out in the last Dark Session. Uh, yes, game. I did. So, uh, yeah, no spoilers there, though. Yeah. Um, you'll just have to wait and see. Or wait but and in D&D, like, hit points can be healed. Right. Especially in 4th Ed with, uh, you know, healing surges. Right. Well, the thing is, though, even if your characters get really injured, they always they're acting. They're the one. They're the proactive group in in the game, and they're the ones going out and adventuring. And then they can. And it's usually assumed that you have a place you can go back and heal. There's always a fortified city or whatever, you know, keep on the borderland where you can go back and heal up. And that's not the case. Like in the Candle Cove, other NPCs were coming up and fucking your shit up, and then you were forced to react to that, and you didn't know when the next attack was going to come. You didn't know what was going on at first, so you you didn't have control of the timing. You know, you didn't have the the momentum, as they would say, in, you know, military thing. You didn't have the, the, the momentum going Or the initiative. It. The initiative, sorry. Um, so... That again, that that that's a lack of control. You didn't you didn't fully control the situation. You you were reacting, not acting. So, um, but we still had control. We can control what we did. Right, right. So you weren't totally useless. You weren't just helpless victims waiting for the next monster to attack. You. Right. Or the GM wasn't just you know ha- didn't have you by the nose dragging you along. No, no, no. I was pretty. I think I tried to stay very open on that. You know, yeah. like um, waiting to see how you go. Because uh, honestly, come on, that's the best part of GMing is just seeing how the players react. Yeah, no, that's that's true. I mean, if you, because you know, no matter what you think of, you're like they're gonna think of some shit that's way better than what you had. Well, not always, but it's always it. It's not usually what you expect, uh, and that's a great thing about it. I know this is we're off think, to- a little yeah. off topic here, but well, it's something we've we said many times on RPPR, but that's a great thing. So uh, it's important. It's, it, we say it so much because it's true. Um, and if you heard it on RPPR, it must be true. It is the unbridled. Ross and I, we have truth. faces. We have honest faces. I am so honest. Only my humility is greater than my honesty, and I'm really one humble motherfucker. And you know, I'm the most humble motherfucker ever. And I'm a billionaire. No, you're not. Yes, I am. No, no, that would make you can't say that, Tom. I mean, nobody's gonna believe you in that. No, I mean. And it makes my statement sound less accurate, you know. So, and I don't want people to come up with the wrong impression. I'm so fucking humble. Uh, anyways. Oh, look at you over there. I know. Um, characterization of NPCs and monsters. Now, um, this is really important in monster in horror games, too, because, again, they have players that have to really get into it. They have to really want to be involved in these things. And great monsters are always very unique 
and they have a presence. You know, they they don't necessarily have a personality. I mean, Jason Voorhees doesn't have a personality, but he's kind of this elemental force that just you, you got to run he, away from. And he has his own sound, his unique sound. Exactly. It goes into the presence again. So and uh, but also the NPCs, like the average people that they have to be you're really a little they can't be safe and helpful and just nice and be like you have to, you know, there can't be any safety, safe places for the players to go. Totally safe places. Every- or there could be seemingly safe places. Well, again, yeah. But then you trick them and they're like, ah, that's the monster's like, lair. Like the Bates Motel. Right, exactly. Um, so, like, in, in, in bringing up Candle Cove again, because that, that seems one more, or uh, Slender Man. I mean, what in particular, like, what characterizations did you really, like, jump out or really jumped out at you? Or- well, uh, I think one was the uh, the owner of Fiddler's Green. Uh, yeah, I like you know hers because for all intents and purposes, and I think it, all the players, she was just a helpful person who like who didn't like the press of all you know the missing children. Yeah, and that's exactly what we thought. And uh, the more we talked to her, the more we suspected. And but it was nothing obvious that you said. You know, it's not you know you know she didn't just like she didn't do like an Annie Wilkes from Misery and just suddenly go from you know, chatty and somewhat cheerful owner of this place to psychotic madwoman. Right. No, it was like, she just kept talking and you, you did the, kept the voice pretty much just as she was, but it was just something. I don't know. I don't even know if I can really pinpoint it, but just something suddenly started making us suspecting she might be involved. So there you go. It's sort of a slow leak. Um, and for me on my end, you know, uh, in that Slender Man game, I was this, uh, just for those of you who haven't listened to the game, the woman basically the main important thing to know about her is that she made a deal basically with Slender Man uh, to, to a not be taken herself to be not to be taken for protection and for power money basically um, by basically giving Slender Man victims and she this was obviously her great secret and she didn't want anyone to know about it and so she's very good at hiding but you know. The closer you guys got to the truth, the more worried she got. So the more paranoid she got. So and that started her her facade started breaking forward, and that that that's how I was trying to role play it. And, yeah, and I think that came across obviously um, because you were obviously beginning to suspect suspect things. Yeah. Um, also, I'd say also you know just I you know, I love how you know we asked her about all the like the hundreds of cameras that were all over the place. Yeah. And um, she was evasive without being evasive. Or like she answered it without answering it. Yeah. Um, and again, yeah. So she's like, I'm a politician, and that 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 is uh, how how I characterized her in my mind when I I was role playing her. Is you know she was just um, her goal was to be appear as helpful as possible without actually helping you. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I was. That's like, how would I do that? How would I do that? You know, how would I carry that across? And so. Uh, you know, you think of politicians with their double talk and their euphemisms and that, that and sort of thing. the answering questions without saying anything. Yeah. So that that's that's so that really helped the game go forward because it was a very subtle, very and may, you, may, you might not have picked up on it right away, but it kind of made you feel off as opposed to like, say, if this was a standard D&D game and she was just like, um, you know, a helpful villager or evil villager, you guys, you know, she'd be more blatant, more with a back room that has more her melodramatic or the, her and her back room that has her, you know, altar to her dark God that she, I was like, do not go in the back room. Yeah. So it'd be more melodramatic, you know, more, mm. uh, uh, yeah. black and white and something else. And there's friend NPCs and monsters, particularly a good one. Never choose the scenery. 
Yeah. Um, well, what do you mean by that? I mean, I've there's been some where, um, like some games where they he's trying to basically run the monster stalking, mm-hmm. you know, stalking the, the players. It just loves to show up, mm-hmm. and you know, and some and do and growl and roar. But in a sense, that's all it does. Right. But the more we see of it, the less scary it is. Okay. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So you you played in games where he was trying to scare you with the monster, but he wouldn't actually threaten you. Like he wouldn't like wouldn't take some. It wouldn't actually be like, oh shit, this thing's gonna kill us. He just had it show up and then disappear. Yeah. Um. You know, it was a scenario. You seen the movie Dog Soldiers? Yeah. The werewolves. Yeah. It was essentially it was werewolves actually. Were st- like had had us cornered. It wasn't a house though. I mean, it was a uh, meat packing plant. Right. With it, it was connected to a cattle cattle yard. So, but and the werewolves would would attack. They would you know pound on doors and windows, but then back away. Oh really? They wouldn't. Yeah. Even and and, and the they doors. kept and they they were always they they didn't hide in the trees. They were just constantly circling outside. Now the they they sort of went on their own initiative. They were they driven off by the players, or were they just like they they would bust on, you know, slant you know knock on the door and then leave. Yeah, the players. Uh, well, the, actually, the GM quickly you know pointed out that they didn't have silver bullets, so they they basically annoyed the werewolves when they shot them. Okay, so the players had no control either. Like they, I mean, they, they didn't just they they were helpless. In other words, yeah. Um, in a sense, in a sense, uh, of course, and we we were God, and we were trying like hell, right? And it, we're the, like, well, this is a meat packing plant. It's got to have you know, it's got to have implements of death in it. This is a meat packing plant. Yeah. And of course, he was saying, oh well, they're all rusted. They don't work. It's not really a good meat packing plant, is it? Well, apparently, it was one that was closed. Oh. But the thing is, he said it was closed for like a year. Okay. So, but everything everything had aged like it was. 30 years old. Ah. And it's pretty much, he just kept wanting to just scare us with them stalking us and attacking the building Uh and spooking us out, but then backing away. And they were always visible. Like we looked out windows. They're all, we always see them just right off. Just, you know, right out to just. So you're at at a certain point where, let me guess you were, you were basically, why don't they just kill us? I mean, what are they waiting for? Yeah. Okay. And, um, I think he he wanted he he wanted because he imagined this ending as like a uh, a one like there was a mad dash back to this one functional truck yeah and but it's like they knew that's what we were gonna go for yeah and they were hanging out around the truck like taunting us like and and sort of like well we're not gonna go for the truck then like oh and then then we could tell something oh well they uh like you look outside like they've left the truck alone like yeah we're still not going to it. Yeah, that's not. Yeah, that's not a trap. That's not a trap at all. I mean, we can see the GM getting annoyed because yeah. we're like, well, we can just. Well, the doors seem to be pretty solid here. We could probably hold out here. Yeah. Like, well, like they start pounding and they start buckling. Like, well, uh, it, it eventually got just how many bullets do we have? Do we have enough for uh, one for each of us? Yeah. I mean, you see that that kind of fails on all four th- uh, three things because one, you had too much information too. Mm-hmm. Like you knew where the wolves were, you could always see them. So there wasn't a, like where the fuck are the werewolves? They're like they're right there. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I could see like off the woods, like some glowing eyes that just ran off suddenly. Right, but you were you're but pretty, they, well, you knew they were at the truck. Yeah. So and, and there and there they were. You know, yeah, they were, it was freaky when we first saw them. Right. But after about two hours of game time, where we see them like an average of four to five times an hour, we're pretty much like, oh, and uh, are the big dogs still up there? 
Uh, yep, there they are. Okay, so again, you had too much information. You always, you you pretty much were always aware of their presence, and you never you it was never like, are they gone yet? No, they're there. They're always there. So, uh, and two, it failed on the uh, the light. I mean, you had no control. I mean, you couldn't do anything. You couldn't you know find any weapons in the meatpacking plant. You couldn't. You didn't have any silver bullets or any ways to do that. You you couldn't do anything. You were helpless. And the third thing, they were characterized terribly because they were always you know they're always there. And they they weren't very uh, scary because they you got used to it so yeah um, that kind of failed yeah, on yeah, all accounts yeah and it, it's event it's eventually we you know we finally just set fire to the beat packing plant <laughs> with you in it well uh, and we use well, we use the conflagration to uh, just you know to just run down the road right and uh, and the thing is once again he didn't actually he finally didn't even we were expecting all right this maybe is the laboriously is the big climax and they just followed us they never attacked us and then when we reached the town they seemed to back off we're like what the fuck was that about yeah wow was this at a, a convention or something or was no it... no this was uh back in high school wow that that yeah, well high school gaming so uh and afterwards what exactly did we accomplish like well you survived the night Wow, that, we sure did, didn't we? Yeah, we showed them by yeah. doing nothing. Yeah, running away and doing nothing. So, uh, I mean, that that, that, that kind of shows you, you know, basically everything what not to do in a horror game. And I think a lot of horror games are like that. They're they're too. Uh, and I yeah. actually I know that if you create what you think is a really cool monster, you want to show it off, right? And I I've done that. I myself have done even recently. I've done that, right? And you, I don't care if it's cool, as cool as it is, you've got to restrain yourself. No, that's, well, there is a way you can go totally overboard. Like if you brand new to monster, you want to show it off, you, you save it up, you just hint at it, just barely hint at it. You know, there's a, you smell something weird in the air or whatever. And then at the but very the, but end. But when you unleash it, you unleash the fuck out of it. Exactly. You go totally balls of the wall overboard with it. And uh, it just, you know, you have a big finale, like a, a Resident Evil boss fight where it's like a multi tower thing or, you know, multi, you know, stage. Like boss it's fight. chasing you up this. It's chasing you up this stairs, this stairwell, smashing the stairs up below you as you go. Exactly. And it's throwing rocks or, you know, whatever the hell it is. I mean, just have like go totally balls to the wall and just in their faces, starts killing PCs, starts maiming them left to right. It's just crazy. And the, the PCs have, you know, they, they can do one thing at a time and they don't know what to do right. and they're just, and I've, just like, I've done some games panicking. like that and if you survive that yeah you actually are like fuck i survived exactly and that's a great thing about horror movies your games is like you, you that 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 thrill of survival that like, and, and, and especially if you have a group that they measure their you know victory in personal power and loot if you yeah. can actually convince a group like that to be you know to have the same feeling over just surviving yeah that's something i think yeah no it is um and I, I've actually, I was present in a group where that happened. Oh yeah, where some of the players this was uh, this was actually the days just after high school. Yeah, it was a uh, I think it was Sean was running a uh, World of World of Darkness game and there were some players there who had only ever played D and D and that's what they were used to. But he ran I, I forget exactly it was vampires. Yeah, and it was and it was also a baned a uh, Mori werewolf. Right. We survived that and these two players like the way he, after it was done like. Whoa. I mean, they actually like literally kind of had to catch their breath because it was just so intense. Yeah. This, this final chase, I forget. 
it was it was that it was a, it was running through it was through this the streets of this small town where this thing was like literally engulfing it as it mm-hmm. went, and we got out and we lived. Yeah, and we were that was enough. And I think it's important to note. I mean, personally, I think the uh, satisfaction you get from that that kind of thing is proportional to the amount of anguish you suffer while you're mm. playing the game. I think uh, people are, uh, some GMs are too care bearish where they, they don't want to make the players. Feel- Aaron, I, you may be listening to this episode. Eventually that's a problem. You, you, you're getting over, Yeah, but he's still got that big time. I mean, it's it, it, basically to me, it's like, there are a lot of GMs that I played under where they never want to make the players feel slightly uncomfortable. And I don't mean like I'm being a creepy asshole. I mean, like, like in the Dark Sun game, you know, mm-hmm. there's at one point in the player, there's a magic sword that they want to get, and, you know, the bad guy drops it onto a uh, the Silt Sea. And so it, it, it's basically, oh, shit, I need to go grab that sword, but <coughs> diving into the Silt Sea is very dangerous. And he's like, what the hell do I do? And he was just like, God damn it, Ross, you asshole. You know, he was like very, like, distraught over, like, ah, what do I do? You know? No, I like that. I love games where you... You've got a decision to make, yeah. and it's going to affect you. Yeah, and when you're GMing in horror, especially, you have to be kind of hard on your player. I mean, you have to be hard on your player. I mean, well, you have to, but be hard on your players is basically what I'm saying. Um, put them, have them make a hard decision, and stick to it. Don't cave in when they bitch or complain. And you guys, I mean, like in the Dark Sun game, you guys just bitch and complain all the time. Well, we may, we do that because it's funny. Yeah. And, and, and I think I, you can tell the difference between when we're really actually bitching at you yeah. and we're just doing, I'm rushed, I'm running this game, it's impossible. Well, I mean, like, or the fights or, um, you know, there's no, this- dude, uh, tr- trust me, we're not really angry, you know, pissed off. <laughs> I know, you. but a lot of GMs are insecure, I would say, and would simply uh, back off anytime their player expressed any dissatisfaction with it. And, you know, I, I kind of do that, but like sometimes, but, you know, I try and hold you guys to tense decisions, you know, really key moments. Like, no, this is it. You got to make this, you got to, yeah. You know, well, you're, you're jump good. Or well, stay. Well, well, you're good at, you're good at not, at not just suddenly springing them on us. Yeah. We normally have enough time to, kind of see the decision coming but then when it's finally presented to us it makes sense right that's true i mean you have to be fair about it though i mean if you're gonna you can't you can't um you, you know, know like suddenly a you know a a massive sand sandstorm suddenly suddenly can't appear on you from nowhere and you say all right well it's like well now you gotta you gotta, t- gotta take shelter or you gotta make uh you gotta lose a healing surge every single turn like where did that come from right like well it's on you now yeah I mean, yeah, there there is a certain sense of uh, uh, like, you know, you, you get out of the game, and uh, and so yeah, be be fair, but be tough, especially in horror games. You got to be really hard. I mean, you the the more tension you gener- give to your players, the more genuine tension, the more gen- tension they they get in the game, the more they'll get in the game, and the more. Uh, they will feel when they when they uh, finish it, you know, even if they do die. I mean, like, I, I know some of the best games of Call of Cthulhu are the ones where everyone dies at the end. I mean, I mean, you guys are just like, <gasps> yeah, like at, <sighs> at Gen Con, I, I had that I had that, that experience for the first time. Yeah. And I loved it because every it was one they were all happy with. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, I, and, and that I, one. And the, actually, I think that was also one of the first times I did a, uh, as you said, the very tense, you know, yeah, the tense thing where the 
this is basically a role that will determine life or death, but it didn't come out of nowhere. Right. And was and they were eagerly anticipated it. Yeah. And you know, they all were like actually standing up watching the role made. Yeah. So I mean that that's the that's the best stuff in gaming. That's the stuff you remember. That's the stuff you'll talk about later on. And uh horror games are very good about that because again, your characters are sort of built to not have much control. And so it's very uh, yeah, unlike D&D, it's a lot harder to get a D&D character to be, you know, die on a single roll. I mean, in previous editions, yeah, but like in fourth edition and third edition, too, you know, characters just had a lot more. Yeah, yeah the beholder could ways do out ways to survive stuff. So um, especially if they, they had time to prepare. So, yeah, I, I think that that kind of summarizes some of the things I've been thinking about lately. Uh, in ter- well, um you know, you I, well, there is one thing you, you mentioned. You know, we're talking about characterization of NPCs and monsters. You were talking about uh, you mentioned something about the movie House of Wax. Like, you know, we I mentioned like Freddy Krueger and Jason Voorhees and yeah, Norman uh, Bates as being like cinematic, having presences. You know, they're, they're very you know, yeah. Like, okay, uh, now in House of Wax, I have a story to tell about this the remake, too. the two thousand remake with yeah. Paris Hilton. Yes, I have a, I have a I have a funny story I want to tell. But first, I'll say there were ba- there were in, in that movie there were two killers. Like, they're basically like Siamese twins separated at birth who were connected by the head, essentially. And, you know, there was one guy that was just this normal looking guy that, and then there's another guy that had a wax mask on. The guy with the wax mask had an inkling of presence because he was all, you know, perfectly quiet. You know, there, you know, you know, kind of the Jason Voorhees thing, but didn't, didn't nearly have Jason Voorhees presence. But they were just utterly forgettable killers. Despite, you know, they did some gory, horrific stuff, but you know, who gives a shit? Right. So, okay. Um, so, yeah, that, that's kind of the, 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 the counter to that. You, you want to be Norman Bates. You want to be uh, Jason Boys. You don't want to be the House of Wax dudes. And you right, or anything from any of the other slasher movies that came out in the 90s. and Well, 80s, really. That, the 80s is really the golden era of the slasher. I mean, if you... We're talking about cinema history, Tom. My bloody Valentine. Yeah, just a lot of uh, well, I, maniac I just because I think yeah. it's seventy-eight. But anyways, yeah. late, very late seventies, early into the eighties. Yeah, you know. like, or one character I think I think uh, I think the tall man had a really good presence from Phantasm. Oh yeah, yeah, no. which is kind of I think why one of that reason that movie's so memorable. Mm-hmm. And the, oh, the actually, I think even worse than House of Wax would be Silent Night, Deadly Night, the uh, third one, mm. where he's just doesn't even wear a suit. He's going like garbage day. Oh yeah, yeah. So uh, that's kind of the opposite of what you want to go for in games. Yeah, or yeah. a My Bloody Valentine. Yeah, I haven't seen that, but I know that. But it's in 3D. Well, not the remake, the original. Mm-hmm. You didn't even know there was a original. I don't didn't care. Oh. I couldn't possibly give a crap enough of that. <laughs> anyway, um, so that's sort of our, our, some of our thinking about horror games. Okay. Uh, oh, I, I do have to say something about House of Wax, though. Yeah. When I went to go see it, okay. In the, I saw it in the theater because there was me, my friend David, two other people, and in the front row was this 90 year old woman. And she was there just watching the whole thing, eating popcorn, drinking soda. We stayed and we stayed a little long. See if there's anything after the credits. We we do that. So did she. And as we were leaving, she got up, walked by us, and said, "Well, that wasn't quite as good as a Vinnie Price version. I really liked it when that little tart bitch got killed." <laughs> that was why we remembered that movie. 
Okay. Nothing to do with the movie. Just yeah. that old lady, which we said. I turned to David. I think that might well be the coolest old lady I've ever seen. Yeah, better than a rapping granny. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, uh, that I will always have that memory with that movie. Yeah, the original House of Wax is a Vincent Price movie. As uh, pretty, pretty good actually. You've seen it. I have. As a, that's is one I, of. I, I actually watched his, it before uh, I went. Canon to go, that I have not seen. Yeah, I went to go watch it before I saw. I went to go watch that one. Ooh. Just so I could compare them in my head, and really about after the first half hour, like no, no comparison. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, Vincent Price has presence on screen always. Yeah. No matter what he does. Have you seen? Well, I mean, have you seen every single film he's ever done? No, but every film I've seen him in, he has had that. Ah, okay. Um, even in Thriller? No, well, he was a voice then, but yeah, even you could tell he has a very iconic voice. That's true, you, he, does. You insta- he does. If you hear he his does. voice, you instant or his laugh particularly, you instantly know who that is. That is true. That is true. Um, all right, so I think that kind of wraps up our thinking about, you know, horror right now. So if you're running a horror game in the next couple of weeks or whenever, uh, think about <laughs> these three areas, you know, the, the ambiguous information, lack of control, uh, uh, and characterization of NPCs and monsters, and try and d- consciously focus on, ha- on those areas and see if you can't run a scarier game, a more terrifying game, a more horrific game. Uh, terrifying, because that's what Stephen King wants. Time and back do what Stephen game. King wants. Basically, yeah. I mean, he knows. He, he controls your fate. Probably. I mean, he wrote that gunslinger thing, and that's probably like the real. And the Dark Tower. That's and... probably the real superstructure of the universe is the gunslinger. Yes, series. yes, yes. I haven't read any of them, but I know they're all connected. Ugh. Boogie, so, boogie. Yeah. All right. So next up, we have a letter from Tom. Uh, shout sure. outs and, and, and a leader. Uh, for our anecdote, we have a. Uh, uh, a letter from a reader from it's Australia. Been a long, been a long time since we've had one of those. So uh, we will be right back. Well, here it is. 50 episodes. What a strange and twisted journey it's been. I've already revealed so much in the way of embarrassing facts about me, yet I feel I have so many more to reveal to you. I guess the most difficult thing is to try to remember what I've already written letters about. I've written a kudos letter to Cthulhu. I said the words swallowing the SWAT cat's ejaculate in a letter about online gaming. I told Emperor Prosec to lay off the whole Nazi thing. I anally violated Goku's wife Chi-Chi with a gold-plated forty-five. I tearfully admitted to Ross that I used to lie about die rolls while at the same time not giving a religious fuck whether or not he cared. And I even wrote a love letter to the, the Illithids. And if you suddenly got it in your penis pump mind that I look at Illithids in a sexual way, then, well, my congratulations for knowing me that well. And in the next 50 episodes, I will reveal more juicy tabloid fodder about me, all in the name of a desperate need to be liked. So, like a poor son of a bitch flipping through my art collection, you will soon learn more about me than you wish to know. Get ready as I regale you with the tale of me playing a Mon Calamari in a Star Wars game, distracting a group of stormtroopers by having a sex sandwich with the female Jedi in our group. Recoil in horror as I tell you of the Rifts game where it is revealed that Dragon Ball Z wasn't the first time I anally violated somebody with a firearm. And so much more. Just wait, dear listeners. More filth will follow. Thank you.
So, uh, Tom, your, your plan to make people like you more. I think is this is to, what they want. Uh, this is what they want, Ross. Show, reveal all the depravities of your mind, basically, or some of them. I don't know how many. Well, that's the most interesting part of me. Really? I think so. It sounds like someone has some low self sense of self-esteem. What, do you want me to talk about my kitty cats that I have? You could talk about your writing or your games or your something else or I don't know. Well, I am in a way talking about my games. Parts of them, yeah. The X-rated parts. Tom, you don't have to be, you know, it's like the, the, it's like the loose girl who thinks the only way people will like her is if she spreads her legs for everybody. You don't have to If be I like don't th- talk about the depraved things I do, I will never be pretty. <laughs> oh, Tom. Um, you we, see, I'm also getting sympathy now. <laughs> You're confusing sympathy with pity. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe a little bit. But uh, they both taste awfully good to me. Aw. Poor Tom. I know, poor me. All right, so uh, <laughs> moving on, as it were, <laughs> let us get on some shout-outs. Um, first off, I'll bring up a uh, a scary movie that I recently saw. It was made a while ago. It is Night of the Hunter, directed by Charles Lawton, starring uh, Burton Lancaster, I believe. You um, said that's what you said, yeah. I believe so. Um, it is a... Great, great, great. No, it's Robert Mitchum. Sorry, I'm getting confused. It's Robert Mitchum stars as the villain. And what it is is set in the Depression, and this dude robs a bank, kills two people, uh, and he gets $10,000, and he hides it uh, to where only his kids know. The kids live on you know, a farmhouse. Uh, only his kids know where the money is, and he tells everybody else you know, he lost it. So he gets caught and executed. But he's before he's executed, he's... Uh, shares a cell with Robert Mitchum's character, who's this self-professed preacher who really, really hates women, carries around a switchblade, and um, is uh, has love and hate tattooed on his knuckles, and is basically the creepiest series. He, he targets widows and kills them for their money. And so obviously the robber's wife is now a widow, and so he targets her, seduces her, marries her and then tries to figure out where the money is by you know interrogating the kids and the kids of course instantly like this guy is bad fucking Mm. news and it's kind of like a film noir i mean it's film it's some people consider film noir some people don't but it's like film noir and a brother's grim fairy tale and like the real like the real brother's grim yeah like real blood and guts i mean i mean it's 50 so there's no real blood and guts but it's very dark you know there's murder like if they they were to make this the main character is trying to kill these kids and find out where the money is. I mean, it's very fucking dark and, but you should watch it because one, it's a great movie. It's very unique, incredibly shot acted. Robert Benjamin is amazing. And he's like, got this presence as a villain that mm-hmm. is just utterly unique. And it would make a hell of a game for little fears, monsters and other childish things, or any number of games where uh, new world of darkness kids, Imagine a game where you're kids and there's a guy chasing you because you know where the money's in and he's trying to kill you. And he's married your mother and you're like, ah. And mom knows nothing. Yeah, mom is utterly oblivious, totally bought it, just thinks he's just a sweet preacher, blah, 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 blah. So anyway, it and there's just so many individual scenes and elements that you could use uh, for it that it is just uh a masterful movie and it 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 really if you haven't seen it it it's there's a criterion edition of it uh dvd of it out there netflix it or whatever and uh watch it because man it is just 
fucking great. And it's so gameable. I mean, there's so much stuff like his character I'm going to use in a game somewhere. I mean, the Robert Mitchum's character. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I have a movie that I recently watched. Yeah. One from uh, 1980 uh, called Virus. Now, I'm going to immediately tell you, because it's the first thing Ross thought of, this is not the movie with Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, the 1999. This is one, it was a Japanese movie, actually. Well, the 1999 thing was based on a manga, so. Yeah. But yeah, this movie is, was made 1980. It's a Japanese movie about, you know, it's a virus that wipes out the world. And uh, it's this new society they're trying to build in Antarctica. And it's, it's a Japanese movie, but it's got a lot of American actors in it. Yeah. And uh, some Soviet Russians and whatnot. And Sony Chiba's in it. It's directed, I, I looked at the Wikipedia before the thing, and it's directed by Kenji Fukusaku, who did the Battles Without Honor Humanity uh, the Yakuza films that we watched, we all well, I loved. I don't know. If I you, liked them. Uh, you, did you watch all six of them? There's I watched six. I watched th- three of them with you. Yeah, there's six of them. Um, but you, you guys probably know him as the director of Battle Royale. So, anyways, go on. So and uh, and so this goes on. I don't know how much I'd be giving away, but yeah, well, just post-apocalyptic like sci-fi like horror sci-fi I mean, it's more sci-fi more sci-fi and uh, but there's a lot of scenes of people kind of kind of losing their minds okay. not i mean not creepy losing their minds but just stressed out tragic yeah tragic and uh and it's also kind of tragic because at this one place there's like 800 some odd survivors but there's only like 10 females in the whole group you yeah that's uh, gonna be a problem and uh then of course the end is this re- kind of really interesting uh mad you know you know, race yeah. to prevent something. Okay. Which I won't reveal. Okay. Yeah. There we go. So it's a good also there's two cuts of it. There's the American cut and the Japanese. I've uh, the, you can, the American cut is on YouTube. Yeah. If you can find it, watch the Japanese. It's much better. How did you watch it? Um, I, I, um, I found, I found some sites that had the, um, Japanese, like the different Japanese scenes. Streaming. Streaming. Okay. But probably been, pirated. But, yeah, you know. yeah, actually, they've been taken off since. Uh, but especially the ending. Yeah, I mean the endings. Yeah, I'm not saying anything about the end. It's just the endings longer in the Japanese version. Okay. Better and better, much better. Okay. Um, I have another horror movie. Uh, since we're doing about horror, uh, this is called Salvage. It is a British film made a couple of years ago, and it's about a uh, you know a single mother. Uh, her teenage daughter shows up and uh, there's a lot of drama. First, you think it's a drama film, you know, like the, the parents are divorced and teenage daughter loves the father, but hates. The Thank mother. you, Dawson's Creek. Well, it's more serious than that, you know, like, but like, I mean, it's not like melodramatic, like mm. Dawson's Creek. But anyways, then suddenly soldiers show up and quarantine the town uh, or the neighborhood. And they're like, hey, stay in your home, stay in your homes and lock the doors. And they then they shoot a guy who wander wanders outside in covered in blood and holding a butcher knife, and they this so the the single mother when this happens is separated from her daughter. Daughter's in the house across the street, and the mother's in her house, and she's like, oh, "I gotta get to my daughter." And then it's just like it's almost a shot entirely inside a few people's houses, a very low budget thing, but it's very tense, very well acted. Um, and it went in a different direction than I thought it was. I mean, at first, I thought it was going to be like 
quarantine the, or wreck. Well, no, like the, the crazies. Oh, yeah. Because uh, you see this guy covered in blood. He's babbling, and then he's shot down by soldiers, and you have black helicopters and all this other stuff. But, no, it goes in a different direction. I don't want to spoil it, but it's it's a good, you know, it's a good little thing. It's out on DVD. Um, it's it's a good, it's a decent watch. I mean, it's not, like, you know, great, but it's better than I thought it was going to be. Okay. So, uh, And it's a horror movie, so, you know, mm-hmm. it's new. It's British. Go, go watch it. All right. If you care to. It's not Night of the Hunter. You have to see Salvage. Yeah, you can see it. If you, you don't have, you don't have. If to. you have time after you watch Night of the Hunter, Night of the Hunter is fucking great. Anyways, uh, let's see here. You, I have another one. Yeah, more DVDs. This one is not horror though. Yeah, this is actually the Smothers Brothers had their stuff released on DVD, and uh, I of course was far too young to see it, but my mother loved it, and uh, it's there's a book written about it uh, called uh, Dangerously Funny. Which kind of re- really details all the battles they went through with the networks for over censorship, because this was you know, it's you know this was like the late '60s, so it was it was very bad to say anything against the U.S. You know, McCarthyism was still kind of fresh in everyone's head, and uh, this show did a lot. You know, this show did a lot of crap for the '60s. It was really controversial, like they had a lot of people that were blacklisted on there, and it's uh, it's really good because you see like you can see that. The shows that were cut, the way they were cut, sometimes they were just cut horribly because, you know, it's bad cuts because they got rid of entire acts. They didn't just get rid of certain words. They just cut out the entire segment. And this one, you can see some of them restored. Mm. Nice. So it's really, really interesting. Cool. Cool. Um, and that, it's like the entire series on DVD box set or is it just like, yeah. Overseas? And, I mean- uh, it was, it's, I believe it went, it was, it went three seasons. They had actually renewed it for a fourth. Right. But there was, after one episode in particular, they just finally canceled the show. I gotcha. Nice. Um, so cool. Cool. Yeah. And it actually, it was canceled because of religious humor. I will just tell you that. Ooh. Yeah. It just, uh, well, we're more enlightened about that these days. I mean, we don't have any, I that's just silly. <laughs> silly. Uh, anyways, actually, I want to mention a novel um, that I just started, but uh, it's by my um, it's Four Dragons. It's a Stargate One uh, novel, and it was written by uh, someone I've uh, taught uh, my script writing classes, MSU Diana Botsford, and she was associate producer for, or she associate uh, she was a producer on Terminator Two. She wrote for Star mm-hmm. Trek Next Generation. Anyway, so I know her, and she is. Uh, um, very good writer, and this novel has been getting really good reviews from Stargate fans, and I've listened to her talk about it, and she's very involved in the Stargate universe. Um, it's very interesting listening to her talk about like t- tie-in novels and how when she favors certain characters, some reviewers can pick up on that, and others can't. Hey, was this the one we went to the first time at Gen Con? No, this just came out this... No, I'm talking the the writer. Yeah, she... Yeah. Okay, I, I've met her before then. Yeah. yeah. Um. So... She, so go out if you're a Stargate fan, go out and re- get it. Four Dragons. It's uh, Aaron. We're talking to you. Yeah. <laughs> um. There's some there's some interesting stuff in there. I, I I just started it. I I I got it a little while ago, but I'm kind of distracted. But um, I'm not a huge. <laughs> I'm not like a diehard Stargate fan. I mean, I've watched a bunch of episodes, but like I'm not like I can't yeah. answer trivia well, contests. Don't bring it up to Aaron. Okay. Because you're gonna be talking about it then. I thought he was Doctor Who is his thing. Or oh no, Transform- he, he loves Stargate too. So it's Transformers, Doctor Who, and Stargate. And there's a bunch of other crap that I don't think you'd bring up, but if you did, you'd be talking about it. Oh, okay. 
Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, and then finally, uh, one addiction. I One of the reasons I haven't read the novels is because I've gotten a, a terrible addiction of my own, a shameful habit. As, Ross, uh, um, shame. I'm a terrible StarCraft II player. I've beaten the single-player campaign, but I haven't even tried 1v1 on the internet because I know I would lose. Because... I action. I can't do that. The whole macro and micro thing, like controlling hundreds of units at the same dozens of units and ma- you know maximizing my economy and all this other stuff. But I really like watching like StarCraft Two replays with good commentary on that. And there's one guy in particular, Husky, uh, Husky StarCraft Two replays. Uh, he has a YouTube channel and he does really good ones in HD. Uh, so you can blow it up to the full screen. It's like you're playing StarCraft. Uh, but you listen to him and you just see these top level players and you're just like, how are these, you know, 200, you know, 150 actions per minute. And you're like, what the fuck? How can you do this? You know, how yeah. are you uh, not? A this guy me- seems like this is no longer a game. No, it's a sport. I mean, like, especially in Korea. Uh, like, oh, it's funny. Koreans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. South Koreans. <laughs> South uh, not, Koreans. No, not North Korea. They don't have that over there. Um, but it's kind of funny. Like the, when he refers to certain pro players, you know, like they're foreign if they're not Korean. They're either pro players. They're, they're Korean or they're from somewhere else. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the foreign players are always the non-Korean ones. So uh, anyways, I like that. It's very entertaining. I mean, there's a lot of subscribers. So I don't really need to publicize it. But that's that's my shameful habit is a lot watching those. Uh, I do listen. I do. I, I you, you mentioned I've watched day nine, too. I don't I mean, day nine's OK, but I don't like the fact that he stops the game so much. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, blah, blah, blah. And he has his little Ian you know, blog thing like, Oh, I had to go to work today and I went to school, but I don't care. Just show the game. Oh, he's one of those people that thinks people are interested in the minutia of his life. Yeah. Well, he apparently does. Cause he's very popular and he did do day nine did do a really fun thing where he asked his, uh, watchers, viewers to play Starcraft two games and only use one unit and declare that unit at the beginning of the game mm-hmm. and then try and win a competitive game with that. And they they sent a thousand replays that a few games they actually did. So it'd be like, you know, have you ever played StarCraft 2? Do you know? Yes, I own Okay. Okay. So like Reapers, Stalker in a 3v3, like Reapers, Stalkers and Roaches. (laughs) That's the only units they can produce the entire game. And so they would win. And it's just like ridiculous. And um, like on... So day nine can be fun too, but like I like I nice. watch more of Huskies. Also, because Huskies are shorter. Like day nine is like an hour long episode every day. I'm like, god damn, you know, mm-hmm. twelve minutes. That's good. An hour, not so much. I have one more I got to mention. Okay, and uh, I just I recently thought, but it's close to Halloween. There's this on there's it's an anime series that I truly love. Ghost stories. Now, let me tell you why. I mean, it's it's kind of if it wasn't for one thing, it would be pretty much a kind of forgettable, you know, spooky go you know, haunted school type thing. It's this particular show has an English dubbing over it uh-huh. that is just really hilarious. Okay. I mean, the, you know, the dubbing is they keep they st- they keep to the story. They you know, you still know what's going on in the episode, but it just gets more and more deranged as the episodes go on and filthier too. Is this a new series? Or is this, uh, this it's, no? It's it's older. I, I think it's early two thousands. It was out. Okay. You know, like one in particular, like the teacher is. Uh, it's I forget the comedian's name, but this it's this comedian. Oh, Carrot. No, I I forgot. I forget his name. No, it's none of these. It's a guy kind of balding, you know, kind of a nerd, you know, kind of a big. Andy bald. Kaufman. No. Ross. John Candy. No. 
Can I continue, please? <laughs> but he's the one doing their teacher. Uh-huh. At one point, you know, there's this one episode where all the kids are possessed and they stop it finally and all the kids are, you know, and the teachers are finally unpossessed. They walk out and he, the character looks around and he says, did I screw all these kids? Okay. It's extremely, just, you know, funny that way. Okay. That's why it's memorable. I see. You should check it out, Ross. I will, I will try to. Uh, I'm, I'm just, it, it's, with, I mean, with a description like that, how could I not? Uh, anyways. So that's it for our shoutouts. Uh, so for an anecdote, we're just gonna do, uh, we're just gonna do a reader letter uh, that was sent a few days ago. Um, not really an anecdote, but a thing for advice. And I already emailed them back with some advice, uh, but I'd like you guys to, re- dear RPPR podcast crew. Uh, let, first, let me congratulate you on the wonderful work, you, work you've done with RPPR, and wish you the best of luck in future endeavors. Thank you. I am a huge fan, and my love for your podcast and your actual plays has only increased since it proved to be the key asset in convincing my fiance to take up role playing as a hobby. So I know, right? We're just that great. Um, I write to you seeking advice. Let me give you my situation. I am an Australian gamer hailing from Melbourne, Melbourne. Um, I can't Melbourne. Yeah. Melbourne. Um, I, it's not hard. I know. I'm just retarded. Uh, the role playing scene in Australia is fairly active. I never have to worry, uh, about finding someone to talk shop with because of Melbourne's relatively tiny population, 4 million. Which is not... Let me tell you about where we're from. Yeah, Springfield is like, what, 200,000 people? 153,000. Yeah. And uh, 4 million in Melbourne is a major city. Our entire country only has 22 million. Again, it's more than... I mean, obviously... The state we live in has 5 million. That was 6. 5 or 6. Yeah. The gaming scene is generally tightly interlaced. Like a game of 6 Degrees of Kevin Bacon, just about any Melbourne group gamer can uh, link themselves to any gamer any other gamer by a few links this leads me to my problem by inclination and design i tend to find myself in the role of gm more often than player and because of my interconnected nature of the scene i tend to find that dozens of people know that i am running a game and are keen to play many of these players are close friends and it's always an agonizing process debating who can and who can join the game in my current game i'm looking at seven regular players with another another five on and off gamers who may or may not make it to any given game session as if this was not enough of a challenge uh that that's my own art i see yeah uh challenge challenge my group plays with the weekend in mind in the last two sessions i have gm for cumulative cumulative 21 hours with 12 players between two sessions holy balls i feel like i am hanging on by the seat of my pants any attempts to plan out in advance where the group could go is fruitless genocides training giant ants and mad mask x x mad max esque expeditions that three times fast uh, into an unending wasteland are already examples of where the group has taken the game. I won't lie. My, I'm still having fun. Very important. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as far as I can tell, so is the group. I just need some advice on how to handle these marathons of gaming. Thanks and kind regards, Joshua. Well, thank you, Joshua. That is not a problem I have had. I don't know about you, Ross. Uh, conventions. Well, conventions. Yeah. Gen Con. That's I mean, that's ridiculous. But that's not a regular thing for you. Um, I mean, not, not having 12 players, no, but like GMing a lot and not getting to play. I mean, that, that is something. Just and running multiple games. Well, I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll tell what I emailed them back, but first, one, why don't you take a crack at it? What, what, what would you suggest? Well, it's been, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I would actually at one point start to say, am I gaming too much? Right. I would really, truly just ask myself that question because, um, Anything for a really long period of time is bad, even stuff you enjoy. Like heroin. It, Believe it or not, there are side effects. Who knew? 
Uh, I can't get through the needles. I'm a <laughs> pussy when it comes to that. <laughs> cocaine. That's good. Well, even cocaine. Yeah, that has side effects. That's a, it doesn't smell very good, but uh, that's not the smell. Go on. Thank you, Ross. But, um, yeah, if, and if you decide, mainly if you're still having fun, that's the primary criteria of what you're doing. First, yeah. if, you know, if, if ever that stops, then you really need to start thinking, I, maybe I should just, shouldn't be doing this that, that much. This, mm. But as long as you're still having fun but racking your brain, it's okay, it's okay to use stuff you've already used. Just, you know, get a sl- you can you can do the chase through chase through a desert. Just make it a little different. Yeah. Instead of Lord Humongous chasing you, it's you know Jason Voorhees. Right. Same guy. Another guy with guy with a hockey mask, but a little different. Yeah. And uh, most of the time, if you run it well, your players are you know your players are gonna are, are still gonna are still gonna enjoy it. Yeah. Or ask them what they would like to do. Yeah. 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 And especially if you have a group that big, you're gonna get a lot of ideas. Yeah. Um, I mean, I did mention that my, my main thing, um, that I suggested and, uh, he mailed back and said that that's what he was going to do is that, uh, with a group that big, uh, I would look for some way to structure the campaign, to split the game off into two related campaigns. Like my example was, um, set up a campaign where the idea is that you have to get a MacGuffin and there's, there's team A and team B. And they're friendly rivals, but they're not, you know, going to kill each other. But they are rivals, so they're both chasing after each other. Run Team A on Day A, and run Team B on Day B. You know, Saturday and Sunday, or Friday and Saturday, depending on what you want to do. Right. Um, but split it into two groups, and that that way it becomes more manageable. I mean, never run for more than six players. I mean, like seven or eight players, maybe at most. I mean, like for a one shot is. Okay, but you know, but you're seeing our group when we have like four or five, we often descend into. Yeah, it's very the hard, larger chaos. the group is, the more they're chaotic. Uh, another thing is to try and do things more efficiently. Uh, I mentioned, you know, keep an eye on like how your group spend time. So the large group, they tend to get distracted more. They tend to be more harder for them longer to come yeah, up with simple decisions. I just think, God damn, 12 players, you 12 players, you almost need military discipline. Right. Well, to keep them focused. So do things like I would ban distractions from the table, like no fucking laptops well yeah no laptops no cell phones no mobile gaming devices especially no ga- no tv on in the background i mean i mood music if you, it, you but only that you can control uh food i would limit too. like uh, snacks and things like that are okay but like don't have distracting food and by that mean like have something that's spread out and he's got like you know a chinese and it's like three yeah, bowls or pizza of- Pizza, like if it's away and they can grab one slice and come back, that's okay. But like if it's on the table, yeah, then it's a big distraction. Nobody's really focused on that. Um, or the Red Robin Tower, and, Tower of Onion Rings. Call out their 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 side chatter, you know, their table chatter where they're talking at the side and blah blah blah, and you're just like, yeah, shut up, yeah, shut the fuck up, stop talking about Doctor Who or whatever. So yeah, you know, uh, that's a or Blackest Night, yeah. <laughs> Uh, that, well, that's been over for a while. That that joke that okay, joke is fine. brightest dead. day. Nobody's p- talking about that, Tom, because nobody cares. You will. They will. Cody hasn't been talking about it. And Cody and Aaron haven't been talking about it. That was what I was. Well, that's, they they uh, they sit apart. Well, they yeah, or Jason. Jason doesn't doesn't care. Jason cares. No, he cares he about comics. Comics are serious business. Anyway, um, 
So that was, and that's what he did is he wound up like the group was making a moral decision and some people are going to be good and some people are going to be evil. And so he's going to run team good and team evil, basically, is the impression I got from his last email. So he was going to have like it was going to be easier for him to run two smaller sessions instead of two monster sessions. Right. Um, so but the main thing, again, the, no gaming is better than bad gaming. No gaming is better than bad gaming. If you are not having fun, don't do and it. And we're not saying this like no big game is better than bad gaming. We're not saying it that way. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's better to play no game yeah. than to play a bad one. Yes, exactly. So if you're, you know, one thing uh, that I didn't mention in the email that we are doing in the Dark Sun campaign is the rotating GM. Uh, so I would try and encourage people, other people to run more games. Uh, so you get to play. And, uh, you know, I like running games. I'm not going to lie. I like being a controlling asshole. But you also like to be a player. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So the, those are some of the things to think about. But uh, that was the main thing is break the group up into two groups. And and, and I say, and always keep that question in mind. Are, mm-hmm. are we having fun? Yeah. That's, yeah, in any gaming situation. So if you're getting fatigued, I mean, that's great. But eventually you'll get burned out and that will suck. So cut back on what you now while you're ahead. So uh, yeah, I've actually, I've actually, I've, I've had moments when I've sensed when a game is over for me, it's, it's a chore to come to the game. Yeah. If you're thinking, oh god, I gotta go to the game today. Yeah. If yep. you start thinking that, it's time to put, it's time to ask that question: Am I having fun? Exactly. So uh, that 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 kind of concludes episode fifty. Uh, big five zero. So uh, we will, of course, have uh, another bazillion episodes. We'll try, try and start doing them a little more frequently. I've just been kind of busy you with know, some things. School year is kind of winding down. Yeah. Well, no, it's, it's, the semester is. Well, it's halfway through, Tom. There's still final projects. I haven't and, been to school in so long. Yeah, I have actually. It's just beginning to get more time consuming because projects and group. Ross work. will make time for the show. We promise. Yeah, but I did finish an essay for Sequart. Uh, I wrote an essay for on planetary for uh, a book, an anthology of essays that Cody Walker's editing uh, about planetary, the Warren Ellis comic. So uh, if you like planetary, you should get that book. We, we, and we will promote the fuck out of it, obviously, because my essays in it and mine will be the best essay in the entire book, obviously. Ross, because it took the, me forever to fucking write that thing because I'm not used to writing critical analysis. Like Ross it's been a Payton, while yeah. since Ross I've Payton, the very temple of humility. Exactly. Yes. Thank you. And it's a great fucking essay. It's just brilliant. Blow your socks off. But again, it took me forever to write because I'm not used to writing critical. I'm so used to writing RPG stuff where it's like you can make shit up. You just like and then there's a golem. Why not? Fuck it. You but, like golems? Yeah. Exactly. And then there's some traps. In this, this one, you have to be factual and, all the time. Well, you have to make, you have to refer to the original material and kind of like make a persuasive point. Like, this is what the monsters in of planetary mean. My essay is about monsters, Tom. You, are they in the school? Um, I don't specifically mention schools. Yeah, I don't think. Uh, yeah, but it, they're they're about the monsters of planetary. You haven't read planetary, have you? Or have you? I've read like one issue. <sighs> I think it's over here too, actually. <sighs> Sorry. It's a great comic, Tom. Thank you, you Ross. Sh- you should read it. You should read the whole thing. Thank you, Ross. Because it's thank so you, fucking Ro- thank amazing. Thank you, Ross. Oh, my God, thank you. you guys. Thank you, Ross. I mean, my essay is thank so you great so about much. it. Yes. It's even yes, greater it than me if you yes, believe it is. that's possible. Yes, so, it is. Uh, anyway, so that'll be out. In, that'll take months for that to come out, though. So um, Please read it and comment on it because Ross's ego needs constant stoking. No, I do, I'm so humble. I don't need that. I And I am a rock. I am... Uh, 
so awesome in so many ways. I uh, how, how can uh, I? You have? see, Ross does, doesn't even believe his own bullshit. <laughs> I do. I don't know what you're talking about. Anyways, um, so that episode's uh, episode fifty, Dance Macabre Two, uh, Electric, Electric Boogaloo. Boogaloo. And if you uh, had forgotten that part, I would have reached over and slapped you. I would have slapped me too, but I didn't because I'm awesome. We'll, we'll see you next time.